Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. Before we start the show, a word from our sponsor. Lyndon, we got sponsors. Hell yeah, we do. Well, I guess we gotta thank Dash Mortgage and You First Realty. Who are those guys? They're your full service mortgage and real estate brokerage. Who is behind that? Our good friend, Dan Horgan. Dan Horgan? Yeah, he not only rips out in the water, but he's an experienced loan professional. Hmm, so what does he do? He helps out in conventional FHA, VA, refi, or jumbo loan products. So Dan has the lenders to make it happen. Yes, and he'll give you the best service in the industry. Nice, Dash Mortgage with no bogus fees or points? That's right, just give Dan five minutes of your time to hear what he can do for you. So who does all the real estate then? That would be me. What? Well, Dan has his license too, but I work under Dan. Okay. Yeah. But so, you're a real estate agent too? You know this. Oh, yeah, I remember now. I helped you get your house. Oh, you did? Yeah. All right. So if you're looking to buy, sell your home, or looking for an investment property, give me a call. So not only a Ruka rep, you're an experienced realtor? Yeah, I didn't quit my day job, London. I still, I still work for Ruka. <laughs> okay. I do real estate on the weekends. Yeah, I've been offering great incentive programs for all my friends and family to keep more equity in their pocket. I guess I'm not a friends or family because I never heard about this. <laughs> but all you on the Late Night and Chalky podcast, Saul, call our office, 714-784-5736 and mention the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Nice. Anything else we know need to know about Dash Mortgage? Um, just our California Realtor BRE number, 01993245. Okay, let's stop talking about real estate and mortgages. Let's talk about what really matters and what is that? Surf trips. And where do we like to go? Off my mind, Nicaragua. And where do we stay in Nicaragua? The one and only Mark and Dave's. Mark and Dave's. An in- exclusive, inclusive, all-inclusive... Boutique boutique hotel on the beach, waves out front, ponga drops, waves down the beach, Colorado's where I saw late night Lar get shactified. Oh, insane in the membrane down there. Tons of barrels, but better yet, it's not just the surf that's insane down there. It's just this compound that they have. Killer poolside, killer food top-of-the-line chefs, you name it. It's in a safe, gated community. community. Uh, they'll pick you up at the airport. They'll drop you off at the, uh, at the house. Um, there's ping-pong table. There's horseback multi- riding. There's horseback riding. Yeah. There's world-class fishing. Golfing. There's golfing. Um, the scenic. I mean, it's it's the best. You could get a massage after surfing for four hours in the morning. Yeah. So it's great for people that are traveling by themselves. It's a great place to bring your family. It's a great place to have a retreat. It's a great place to have, you know what I'm saying? 
bachelor parties. You know what I'm saying? I think we've been there for all of the above. We might have. So go to Mark and Dave's website and mention Late Night with Chalky Podcast, and you're gonna get 200 bucks off a selected uh, off selected weeks for the rest of 2019. Oh, sign me up! This is insane. Mark and Dave's. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. We're sitting here with Mr. Scott Vanderreif. Thank you, bud. Good to see you. Hey, guys. So, this is round two with the the bard. Whoa. (laughs) And wait, first off, cheers. Cheers. We got some... Ice cold bottle of Takati's that was uh, courtesy of late night. Um, yep. Thanks for being so hospitable. We're uh, at Casa Chalky. Casa Chalky. And yeah, this is our uh, second sit down with Mr. Vandernomics himself. Yeah, we had some uh, technical di- difficulties on the uh, first round, but um, but welcome. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Yeah. Always good to hang with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So. Most of you probably haven't ever heard of Scott Vanderwright, but he is a three-time world business champion. <laughs> Repeat. Repeat. Yeah. So he is one of the guys that started Split Clothing. Uh, insane, what, late 80s, early 90s, 2000s brand. Surf, skate, snow, um, music. One of the original kind of uh, uh, action sports brands. Uh, Also started, after that, he he started Crew. And after that, he started Supra. And after that, he's had his hands in a lot of different cookie jars. But talk about entrepreneur. He's a serial entrepreneur. And he's one of our great friends. And we're stoked to have him here. Yeah. Yes, Scott. Cheers. 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 All right. So, would you like to kind of? What's the first question? When did you start surfing? <laughs> okay, I started surfing back when I was probably a teen. I grew up in LA County. Didn't have a surfing family. It was kind of weekends at the beach where I got the bug. Uh, started boogie boarding and. I believe uh, back when boogie boards first came out, everybody was rafting or styrofoaming before that, so we got boogie boards. Did they have electricity back then? Yeah, I was just going to say, are you, are you trying to date yourself right here? Uh, back with, holy back, moly. Back in the day. So, so this is 70s, right? This is late 70s, mid-70s, whatever it was. And I remember when, uh, so we had family on the East Coast, and we would go... Uh, visit them and our mom would put our, our boogie boards in a garment bag like for a suit to take over them. and carry them on the airplane because okay. when we go back there nobody nobody had a boogie board on the east coast and wow. we'd go back there and we'd carry our boogie boards so. yeah was it a moray boogie or it was a moray boogie okay. yeah and then so that was the beginning I used to do those uh, the moray pro-am sun-kiss comps all get that. your body on a boogie yeah all that, all that stuff wow what a what was it what kind of tag would you could say that like uh, <laughs> slogan of- the spirit of performance is what defines acura and now it's electric 
Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Some sort, but... Get your body on the yeah. <laughs> yeah. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah, bottom, yeah, yeah. It will go surfing today. Um, and wow. then, then, then it evolved in surfing. Uh, when I... So there was a couple shops by my house. Uh, one was Val Surf, yep. and one was Glenn Kennedy. So May I got my rest first, in peace. Rest in peace, Glenn. You're Just, a great guy. Yeah, he was a he was a. One passed away what a week ago? About a week ago. Oh. Yeah. Really? So yeah. Yeah. Stopped by the shop last week and just said a few words just because a little visual out, visual outside. But the shops we go to, I got my first board from Glenn. Started surfing. Malibu, Zuma, County, that general area. And then the other shop was, uh, well, what did I say? Val Surf yeah. and Glenn Kennedy. So those are the shops we'd go to. And then I kind of got into surfing. Yeah. And that did was. You have, our, <clears throat> did you have bros, friends that yeah, you started with? Yeah, a bunch of friends, uh, neighborhood guys. Um, and then it evolved into high school. And we would just, yeah, we'd go Malibu Canyon to Malibu Zuma, and then in the winters we'd go up to Oxnard Ventura. That was kind of our zone. Do you so remember? Go ahead. So you started surfing before you were 16, so you had to kind of leverage rides with older dudes or, or other parents or? Exactly. Yeah. It was parents on the weekends, or it was friends who were just starting to drive that would go in the summertime during the week. So fair weather surfing. At that age, yeah. So just summertime. No, it was year round. It mm. was year round. It was just a matter of yeah. I didn't live at the beach. Yeah. Didn't have a full-looking family. So yeah, but it evolved from there. Yeah. <laughs> so so you got the surfing bug. Um, what was your first surfboard? It was a Glen Kennedy oh. single fin, and that was my learning board. That was the transition out of boogie into surf. And you know how it is. You're good at one and crappy at the other. Yeah. So you have to transition to get better at the other one. So yeah. that's how were you, were you also into skateboarding? Also into skateboarding yeah. as well. And you remember then, your skateboard, your first skateboard? or what It was wrote? a Bane. Mm. Yeah. Bane with Cadillac wheels. Yeah. Wow. Nice. So, what kind of trucks, bro? 
think they were Bennett Pros, Ooh. if I'm not mistaken. I remember Bennett. I think that was it back then. You are dating yourself, yeah. bro. Bennett's were the best. Yeah. Trackers were number two back then. Trackers were popular. And then Independent took over. And so, one, and one of my one of my high school buddies who I surfed with a lot, his name was Carl Schultz. His son is Kevin Schultz. They live in San Clemente now. Yeah. His he, uh his, he just had a big big air at the uh, yeah, Waco. Yeah. At the stab high contest in yeah. Waco. No, he's on it. Legit he's, flip. Yeah. Legit flip. For sure. Yeah. That thing was gnarls Barkley. <clears throat> and and so and Carl's uncle, I believe that's how he termed it, was PT. So when I was in LA County Peter Townsend? Peter Townsend. Huh. And they were running bronze dossies out of Huntington at the time. Him, him and Ian Carnes. Kanga. Yeah. <laughs> so he was getting bronze dossies. So we were LA County. So we'd come down to Huntington, call weekends, call it summertime. And then I think his, he was related to Troy Bishop as well. So I knew that crew. It was yeah. through Carl's mom. And so that's how we kind of got affiliated with Huntington mm. and the Huntington surf scene. And then from there, I graduated high school and I went to college in San Luis Obispo at Cal Poly. So then I started migrating north. And so I'd do the drive north from LA through Santa Barbara to slow yeah. and back and forth. So I started getting a little bit of a feel for the point breaks up in Santa well, Barbara. Before we get into that, did, when you, you were surfing high school, did you start getting into surfing contests or was there local contests that you started doing or that wasn't your thing you know not it wasn't really my thing we did a few kind of local shop challenges yeah um not shop challenges like they are today but just a shop yeah know, they sponsored a comp or something yeah like they that. have local yeah amateur contests all, all up and down the coast yeah and they do that region whether it's zuma county line or something of that nature yeah, yeah. but val surf was a shop and glenn kennedy was a shop you used to frequent yeah, yeah, Val was out there. I think they moved to three different locations while, you know, while I was a kid. Yeah. Glenn moved to a couple locations, but it was it was tough. I mean, it was there wasn't a big scene where I lived. It was all at the beach, yeah. right? But those shops catered to the population that wanted to surf, yeah. and they did it well. They did a great they're both those shops are around today doing well. Yeah. Did you uh, get any kind of localism back then? Did you feel any kind of HB must been gnarly? You know, um, <laughs> there was there was an element of it. Um, There's a couple um, incidences that we came across, and it was more of a just it was more of a verbal just. You yeah. Know, there was no beat down. Well, there were some few beat downs. Yeah. If you're but disrespectful and being a coup, but yeah, like, but if you're just showing up, it's back then kind of like a little bit heavier than it is now. With, yeah. You can get sued for just. Yeah, whatever. there are there are definitely. There was definitely shenanigans, but nothing, yeah, yeah. nothing too crazy. No we fisticuffs? Weren't, we weren't surfing Palos Verdes. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh-uh. So. It's hard to surf uh, up and down that little stretch around. South Bay is a tough place to find good waves. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. It gets good in the wintertime, but. So what did you uh, major uh, at uh, Slow? Industrial technology. Industrial. So it's a. So can we oh. backtrack one second? So you're growing up as a surfer, right? This guy. And and we're in. You know, you're you were in the surf apparel uh, business um, back then. You know, what was the style like? Do you remember what you know what the cool kids were wearing? It was killer. It was uh, there was Echo Beach. You know, wow. There was there was Quick. 
and polka dots. I remember that era. There mm. was OP. There was um, Gotcha around then. Yeah, Gotcha. Yeah, that was kind of the era. But I think Quick was the one that stood out the most. For sure. Back Sunday. Then. But yeah. you also had that Neil. Mr. Zog sex wax T-shirt. Yeah. Oh, indeed. Long, <laughs> long sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> and then, with your with your super short OP cords. For sure. Had yeah. to have those. Yeah. Would yeah. you? What, what shoes did you wear? Vans. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't cons, it was Vans. Slip-ons? It was Vans and Nike. Yeah, Nike high tops. Yeah. Slip-ons? Uh, not so much. Lace-up. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what about some, like, going out pants? Some of the, those Velcro waist Jimmy Z's? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I think, but it was still kind of 501. Levi 501. 501. Um, and then I know OP came out with their pants, their cord pants as well. Puka shells? Puka shells, yes. Lightning yeah. bolt? Lightning bolt, hang ten. Yeah. Hair parted in the middle. Yeah. Gold Feathered. <laughs> <laughs> Just sun bleached. How do you yeah. get the color? Oh, sun Just, in. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. That, right, that, so, that style's coming. It's all back right now. Yeah. Well, partial. You know, yeah. it's kind of a mix of '80s and '90s grunge and a little hip hop. Now I don't know. It's kind of a weird mix of. So style. boom, you go to San Luis Obispo, right? Yes. And, and what, what was your question? Uh, what did you major in? Yeah. yeah. Vandernomics, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I found this major called Industrial Technology, and it was a major that was a hybrid of business management and engineering. Say it again? It was a hybrid. It was a business. Com- it was a major combined of two different. What was the major again? Industrial Technology. Industrial Technology. So it mixed business and engineering. So you could have engineers that were getting educated in the business world and you get business majors that could get educated in product development and engineering. So they kind of worked well together. It was a pretty good. What, what was the, the, the career path that uh, industrial technology, what, what was that going to, what kind of career was that? Well, it was super well, job? it was well-rounded because you could do, uh, I mean, it covers the spectrum. You got design engineering, right? Call it mechanical or, and then you have business, you know, econ, accounting, and all that. So it kind of educates you to kind of look at look at the whole spectrum. Yeah. What so What it, did it you? Was, it was technical. Yeah. What did you want to be when you were going to school? Like, what did you think you after you graduated? What What were you going to do? You know, I didn't. I didn't know. I, I had this idea of getting a corporate job just to get out in the real world and you know see it in a big way yeah and that's kind of what i did I, I graduated and i took a job in aerospace and it was at long beach it was boeing it used to be mcdonald douglas yeah. so i um i took a job there out of college and worked in long beach um graduate four years three years uh four and a half mm. yeah so dude what a lagger four and a half yeah, you know, it was a little too fun I'm in the beginning. Super I'm super, yeah. you know, I, I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> I thought you would have been uh, a four-year, maybe even less, magna cum laude. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think he was de- developing, you know, more relationships and stuff along the way. It's not all about business and numbers and, and grades. It's about relationships. Hey, you know, <laughs> once it's over, it's over, right? You know, right. you got to enjoy it. Right? You don't let... Don't let college get in the way of your education. Okay, before, yeah, we got to backtrack because high school, college, what about, we didn't talk about surf trips, like what were, what were your... Your earliest surf trip memory? Yeah, so, 
Came to California, a lot of Baja runs. You know, started getting down there when I was in high school. And then a couple Hawaii trips with the family. Nice. In high school, so surfing Maui, Honolulu Bay, Lahaina, you know, over in the Hukipa side. You, um, you have a brother, or you had a brother, and, a, and you have a sister, right? Older brother, younger sister. Yeah. yeah middle child. Yeah. Did he surf? He surfed a little bit, and we'd surf together, and then he went off in the golf route. He, he would golf, and I would surf. So 6 a.m., we get up, and he's going right, I'm going left. And mm. he golfed, and Splitting the peak, surfed, bro. yeah. So he took that path, and yeah, I just surfed. Yeah. So it was all pretty uh, domestic with Mexico, you know, down to Cabo, down to Cuatro Casa, San Catin, a lot of northern Baja. And then uh, we had a couple trailers on the cliffs at K38s for years that we'd go down and, um, yeah, had a good time down there. Yeah. And so, then, I, then I started to evolve internationally. Uh, shortly after college and career, I got down to Australia, then started going down to Central America, Costa Rica. Yeah. And, and then. And we're talking like, what was that? Late 80s, early 90s, or? Yeah, Hawaii, 80s, Baja, all that. Yeah. And then. Uh, Crowd uh, factors were pretty pretty mellow back then, right? Super mellow, especially when I lived on the Central Coast. That was, there was, there wasn't crowds up there at all. Yeah. And then even Rincon, I mean, not compared to what it is today, but it was good. It was a good time to be driving up and down the coast. Yeah. There's a lot of people in the water now, everywhere. Yeah. I, you name it. I yeah. mean, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Although we did get some fun ones today with not that many people out. True. Yeah. It's always fun when you surf with your friends. Yeah. So, boom, you, you graduate college, you get a job at McDonnell Douglas. Um, obviously, you're, you're surfing throughout that whole time period. And then let's talk about Split. Like, how'd that happen? Wait, was that on the like back of your mind through college, like when growing up in the surf scene? Or was it kind of a after college no, so Split came about while we were in college. It was, we had a handful of really good friends, and it was our Split, it, it was our brand. It came up, and it came from just graphics to stickers to t-shirts to just, we were the Split guys. Yeah. So and it was just, and we started printing our own t-shirts, and we'd print them, and we'd sell them like downtown at the farmer's market, you know, just to our friends. So, so the brand had kind of been born but it was a small hobby and then I was the first to graduate so I of our crew so I came down to Orange County and things started to pick up a little bit more we're printing t-shirts and slow and I'm working corporate down in SoCal so you know I'm here in the epicenter of it and I'm taking the product and bringing it here and slinging it you know, shops, and this is a new brand, and here's our deal, and blah, blah, blah. So we slowly, organically grew it. And then one of my friends and our business partner, Dave Patry, he was the second to leave, and he came down, and he took a job at Vision Streetwear as a designer. And then he went from Vision to Gotcha and MCD. And so we were running Split in Orange County, and our other friends were either still in San Luis Obispo or they went up north and we just kind of had this posse kind of spread out but started to get some some wings under it or some wheels and then so Dave's working design design and split and I'm working kind of production logistics 
and he's living in Newport. I'm living in Seal Beach, and we're kind of back and forth. So I'm trying to get the stuff made. He's designing. We're kind of working together. Yeah. Eventually, what's, what's the uh, meaning behind split? So split was a word we used a lot in college. Uh, I know we, a lot of influence was derived from the Clash song, Split. Um, and then a scene from Big Wednesday yeah. uh, with the Crashers, if you guys yeah. remember that. So that was that movie was our era yeah. and really influential. Big Wednesday. Yeah, Big Wednesday. I mean, PT was tight in that, so we yeah. got to know him and that whole element. But Split just kind of became the word, the phrase, the brand. Yeah. And it was Split, and it was born, and it was multi-sport because that's what we did. And back then, no one was doing multi-sport. So we're trying to grow the brand, you know, as a surf brand, as a skate brand, as a snow brand. And eventually Moto came in as well. And we're trying to grow it with all these disciplines and trying to market it, which, you know, back then it was all print media. So it's really hard to pay for ads and all the publications yeah. and have your athletes and salaries. And So it, going back, when you first started Split, you're making just t-shirts and hats, right? Pretty much, yeah, yes. And then you're selling it at farmers markets, and then you moved out. When you moved down here, you started approaching surf shops with it. Yes. Was it re were they receptive, or were you kind of like you know had to have local friends or bros kind of go plug a word in and you know a little bit of both. Who's who your first account? So I think it was Central Coast Surfboards huh. above the belt up north uh and then down here i was part of the belt remember those guys yeah kind of yeah, way back and then and then down in orange county it was glenn at caton yes harbor surfboards in flight a little bit of jacks a little bit of hss it started mm. to root in kind of our own backyard and then it evolved you know it spread out down to Laguna and up to the South Bay and yeah. it slowly started to go there. But first it was just surf. Right? It was just surf. Yeah. Yeah. Surf, a little bit of lifestyle. So when, what, uh, what year was it when you started? Do you remember? Yeah. So I left college in 88 and then it was just a, an idea. We did the first ASR trade show in 89. Oh, wow. Like January 89 in Long Beach. So within a Pretty year, quick. you went from starting a brand to, to the biggest trade show that you needed to be at. It was the biggest trade show. It was probably the peak of ASR. It was so big and popular back then that we were an add-on and we were like down in the dungeon. We were like in this add-on room at the very last booth in the whole show. But Do you remember how much it cost? Probably. No, I don't really know. But I'm thinking it was pretty cheap, like twelve to 1500 bucks. Yeah, well, yeah, that's I a lot of money yeah. for a startup brand. A startup brand, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Did you have a tent? What did you, do you remember no, the booth? No, we, we had all this art, art and clothes. We had more props than we had product. Yeah. yeah. It was just props. And Marketing. It's like getting your name out there. And, yeah. And yeah. we invited everybody we knew to come to the show and you have to have a business card. So we made fake business cards with everybody's names as buyers from all over so they could come in and <laughs> get in the show. So we had people wearing our product and our hats and handed stickers out. So, um, Wow, look yeah, at the guerrilla marketing at its finest. Well, right I, I remember uh, Richard Wolcott and, and Troy Eckert in a roll-up like U-Haul uh, outside of ASR <laughs> in like 90, 91, whatever so, they started, 92, somewhere around the, those dates. And they were just 
again, just handing out stickers and T-shirts from the back of a U-Haul. Like, yeah. oh, I yeah. mean, that's what you did. You went down to where the buzz was, which was ASR. Yeah. yeah. You know, whether you could afford to get in or not, and it's just about getting your name out there. And That's funny, because that that's practically, all, well, what is that? Only a couple years. They started in 91, right? I think 91. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And back then, guerrilla marketing stickers, that, that's what you did. But then yeah. it got to a point, ASR was like, hey, don't sticker these convention centers up anymore. If your yeah, stickers are up, you're fine. getting fined. So it, it kind of like, which is good. It was kind of getting to, it was getting a little ridiculous for a while. So yeah. was that first 89 ASR show a success? You opened up a, a bunch of accounts and... Yeah, that was the start. That was, that's, that, that meant let's do this. And it was a, it was a tough road. I was still working corporate. Dave was working... For another company, so it was on the side. It yeah. was a side business. How long did you work at McDonald Douglas for? About three years, I think okay. it was. We finally got split going to a point to a level where, you know, we were starting to. It, it was demanding more of our time, more than half of our time. So Dave and I both, at that time, it was just Dave and I, and I believe Scott Bailey came in the picture <laughs> as well because he was a friend of Dave's brother. And he had came in, and when we were trying to start Split, we had to borrow money from friends and family. And Scott Bailey was a friend that put some money in, and then he moved to Europe and was working in Europe. But when he came back, he he wanted to get involved. So he lived on my couch. He came to Seal Beach and lived at my house and helped with the business. You know, we're shipping, folding shirts, making stuff. So, so then Dave and I quit our jobs and said, let's just do this full time. So we hopped in his van and we drove to Utah for a week and just went snowboarding. Said, let's just go snowboarding and figure this out. And we did that for a week and we came back. Snowboarding is fairly new too, right? Like it, it was, it was pretty new. In fact, I'll date myself again. I got my first Burton. It was wooden, and I don't know if I got it from Val Surf or from Glenn Kennedy, but it was way back in the day. And I remember taking it to Mammoth and getting pulled over by the ski patrol kicking me off the mountain saying if i catch you on this mountain with that thing again you know so it was a wooden burton and uh that's how it started it was tom sims and what what year was it when you were like what what year was that near two or three that you quit mcdonald douglas it was yeah year three at least three years yeah yeah it was early 90s i think okay maybe 90 were you going to mcdonald douglas being like I so don't want to be here. I'm focused. Like all your like thought process was on split, or you're just juggling both. Just I mean, you needed the, the income, so you had to be there. I yeah, I needed the salary. It covered healthcare, all that. It had all the all the pros. But what I did was, I think a year prior, I took a position on the night shift. I took a swing shift, so I'd work nights at McDonnell Douglas. Mm. So then I run split all day, and I'm I'm in L.A working at factories, getting material, doing all that. So I was kind of like, yeah, double, burning the midnight oil. You hear, you hear that, kids? Blood, sweat, and tears right here. Yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> Nothing comes easy. So, so we, yeah, so we did that to a point where we couldn't do it anymore. It was to a point where I couldn't stop working split at 3 p.m. to go mm-hmm. to work. I'm like, hey, I need five more hours. Yeah. So then it started to evolve. So we quit our jobs and we just went full, full bore, right back to college macaroni and cheese. And yeah. So what did your parents say? So um, by then I was 20 something or rather, yeah. and uh, they knew the brand, they knew 
the passion. They knew what we were doing. You know, yeah. that's what everybody got for Christmas was t-shirts <laughs> and stuff that didn't fit anymore. You know, so samples. Like, yeah, yeah, every every member might want to hold on to yeah. this one. This is a one of yeah. a kind. <laughs> yeah. So so, what was your first like profitable like? Damn, we got. We got a brand here. Was it an account or just season after season? It just was growing exponential or? Well, two, two things happened. Uh, first of all, the, the market was changing. It was getting to be a streetwear vibe. You know, surf mm. was kind of in a weird funk. I mean, OP was kind of going through a funk. Uh, surf, big surf was, it was, there was a recession going on. So there was room for new brands to come in because the old brand, the big brands were having to scale back. The lead times were long, overseas, you know, manufacturing. So there was room for new yeah, brands. You were making everything domestic pretty much. Making right? everything domestic. We had a pretty quick turn. So we started making, because back then, remember the brand Cross Colors? No. Cross Colors. It was uh, a yeah. bunch More of... More like a hip-hop. Yeah, so that was going on. Brand. A lot of bright colors, bright graphics. And so we said, okay, let's get into the denim game. Mm-hmm. So we started to make some denim. And I, so to do it, we needed some money. So I had a 401k plan with McDonnell Douglas, and I think I had like 10k in it. So I go, why don't I buy the denim? We'll get it all sewn up, and we'll, you know, once we sell it, then I'll pay myself back, and I'll be good. It was like 60. Was it back then 60, 90 days to pay it back without a penalty? I think you had 90. It, it was just it was our lead time of how quickly we could produce it, sell it to a retailer, and have the retailer pay it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it was going to take a few months. So I said, I'll pull it out of 401k, take a hit, which no one advises you to do, right? No, right. So I did that, and we we bought PFD denim so we could sew it all up and then dye it the colors that we wanted. So I get it, we cut it, we take it to LA, it's halfway through production, then the Rodney King riots hit LA, oh, and LA is just on fire and upside down. So. We, um, it took a long time to recover that. And uh, finally, we, I don't think I ever saw it. I think it was years before I saw that again. <laughs> so that was a setback, but it was a, the start of a new kind of a fashion trend that we kind of rode the vortex of. Fashion trend, but also a new, new category for you guys on top of the printables and hats and everything else you're doing. So it was it went, another... It went from short shorts to baggy shorts. Yeah. And it went from 501s to grunge or baggy jeans or yeah. that era of streetwear music was influencing music what was, was real on. techno yeah. and so that was an era oh, ravers ravers, right? ravers yeah. and flat flannels and grunge yeah so we had a lot of growth during that period and we diversified our our account mix yeah. it wasn't all surf and skate it just there were new shops popping up that were doing well i mean hot topic which yeah. is you know did you sell the hot topic we did yeah split yeah. sold the hot topic yeah wow yeah. you guys are sellouts yeah, <laughs> you're like that, cha-ching. But back then it was a different game. Yeah, you know, back then it was a different. It was relevant. Yeah. Whoa. So, so uh, talking about the denim, we we brought this up before. Your signature piece was the stripe jean. Stripe leg jean. Yeah. Yes. Like you were first to market, pioneered that style, and that's what kind of put Split on the map, right? That was our volume piece. Yeah. That that came on, and you know, aside from tees and you know hats, that was a cut and sew piece that gave us some traction that yeah. accounts couldn't get enough of. So yeah. that gave us a lift as well. Yeah. That gave us some growth. It was uh, you know 
certain brands come up with certain product that they're known for and split revolutionized denim kind of back then with with the you know who, who whoever started that I mean you guys were the ones that started that and that was like every kid had to have a pair of split side stripe jeans so I remember so no one was doing denim it was kind of a chino vibe yeah. before that so we started doing denim and we started doing big denim extra large denim and I remember we had a shop in in Florida Orlando Group two maybe yeah yeah and that was Shaq Shaq was playing for Orlando Magic and we were making big jeans he's like I want those jeans and so we're Shaq. making we're making custom jeans for Shaq shut up serious so wow. yeah. four pairs together so he'd be we'd <laughs> see him at the Surf Expo trade show rocking split jeans back in the day back in the nineties do you have photos of this because. If you don't have photos, it didn't happen. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't think I had digital anything back then. Um, I don't think I had a cell phone. So No. Pager. Yeah. So when did you start branching off into the other uh, cultures, surf and skate, or skate and snow? So snow got big. We had a snow team. We had a snow line. Uh, we made really good snowboard apparel. And snowboarding was fickle because of the weather patterns. Yeah. It was, you know, you'd have two great years, maybe three, and then you'd have two or three bad years. So we did it for a couple years, and then we kind of got out of it. Yeah. So it, it was, was just, it was a separate division. It was called a different name too, right? At first, we launched it as a, a, a brand called Bent Saw, and then it just became Split. Yeah. So And it was a good brand. We, we brought in Eric Frey from Long Beach, and he was a great designer. He was working at Seoul back at that time. Chippa Slippa. Yeah. If I have to explain it to you, yeah, you want to understand. So he came and designed the apparel brand. He did a great job, and we ran that for a while. Yeah. Snow team. We were all big snowboarders. Because so. at that time, Split was like a new, cool, up-and-coming, like, you know, you had Soul, you had Stussy, you had what other, like, weird... Fresh Jive. Culture, a counterculture was kind of coming out then too. Yep. Welcome. Was Fresh Jive. Yeah. Yeah. So you were like the new school brands of that day. Of that 24-7. Era. Yeah. SMP. Yeah, yeah, SMP. Yeah, there yeah. was a new era. Yeah. And then, and then it mm. evolved from the fashion. Then we got into Moto. Because Moto yeah. was like going freestyle and you got all these like personalities versus guys that just raced you know like you had the racing tour guys and even in the surf culture kind of had that the skate they all kind of went from ramp to let's talk about that like all the heavy hitters you had on that you sponsored like for surf you had mccullough jones you had uh shay lopez sean yano mikey riley mikey riley sean yano yeah that's funny. We, we had a good little Grom phase. When we first started Split, and I was living in Seal Beach, I lived across the street from InFlight, over by McGaw, and all the Groms, I was running Split out of my garage. So they just come by and hang out every day? Yeah, Dave, sh- Dave, Dave Patriot was living in Newport, and I was trying to run a warehouse out of my garage. And at that time, the, uh, the Seal Beach local Groms were uh, <laughs> a little sticky bench. <laughs> the the series local ground right now. <laughs> it was Mikey Riley. Thank you, sir. Lou Carrion. Yep. Artist extraordinaire. Yes. 
Troy Tecklenburg. No. Um, Potter. Um, Travis Potter. Travis Potter. There is a, a kid whose nickname was Psycho and another kid named Devin. And they were like the Seal Beach local drums that I remember from either late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And yeah, they were a good group. Any Huntington dudes? Yeah, a lot of Huntington dudes. Well, they weren't all Huntington, but they were all from around Huntington. Yeah. I know it was, it was Chase. These were AMs that were really Chase good. Chase Newsom. Chase Newsom. Yeah, who helps uh, us out on uh, our website. Brady yes. Shemke. I, yeah, um, that's so funny. Jason McDonald, uh, just a bunch J-Mac. of... J-Mac. Gus Buckner, Joel Nelson, yeah. Steve Foley, that whole crew was on the program. But I remember... I think Jason Nonamaker wrote for you guys, too. <laughs> Always <laughs> saw the logos on his board. <laughs> <laughs> Number one team writer. <laughs> Surf like current. Yeah, so those Groms would come by, and I think they'd even kind of... Sweet the garage and give them t-shirts, but they were a good mm-hmm. bunch of kids. And yeah, from the Groms, I met the next tier. I met Joel and Gus and Steve Foley, and then I got tuned into the Harbor Chaz Stamps group for boards, which was a, which was awesome. And then that was, and then I kind of migrated from Seal Beach, and I moved to Huntington Beach, and then I ran Point in Huntington for a while. Nice. Oh, then we. Yeah. Then we moved out of the garage and got a warehouse. We got a real warehouse. Yeah. In Huntington. How was it like growing as like a young brand and then like primarily a Southern California brand to probably a California like West Coast brand, and then you're you know like adventuring east to like I mean yeah. where Utah Colorado because of snow and that lifestyle was probably pretty good. But was yeah. there a show? Did you go to what's the show on Surf Expo. Surf Expo and stuff? Did you? Yeah, so the way we spread and the way we grew, uh, Orange County was great, well-received, it worked. And then California became, you know, all of California. Then to get the surf business in Florida was great. But then New York started to pop because it wasn't surf, but it was kind of fashion. We do the, the show at the Jacob Javits Center up there at the New York, uh, whatever show that was back in the day. We do trade shows in New York. So we do New York, Florida, California to get the nation you know, to go nationwide. And then we started moving into the UK. And then eventually we moved down to Australia. We set up a licensee with the guys from Harb- or, uh, the guys from Hardcore. And they did Globe, oh, Stussy, yeah. Massimo. The Hill in, Brothers? The Hill Brothers, yeah. Okay. So we worked with them to get Australia going as well. So we had Europe, Australia. We had an office in Canada as well. So, so. what, I mean, that had to have been like, an epiphany right when you're like sitting there thinking shit you know three years ago four years ago we're sitting in a garage and now we're you know out of trade show in Florida out of trade show in New York and we have this brand called split that we're starting to get global right yeah no it was, it was that was and, part of the and how many you know you started off with how many people three three people yeah, there was a handful of friends, and then everybody kind of thinned out. Then it was just Dave and I, and then Bailey came in, and then I think it slowly grew from there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was who was your first reps? Was it Joel Nelson and Joel came in later in the game? I remember. It's hard to remember all those names. I don't even know what I did yesterday, let alone thirty years ago. Yeah, you are up but, there yeah. in age. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, a lot of good reps. Some might still be in the game. Some have moved on. Yeah. But we had a lot of good people come through the enterprise, from employees to team riders yeah. to... So what was your first international order to, to what country? Canada? It was to the, to the UK. UK, wow. wow. It, was, it, was, it was Manchester. And I forget the name of the... Oh, might have been Slam City or something. Slam oh, City, maybe. Slam City. Yeah, way back when. And I remember living in Seal Beach across from in-flight and kitty corner to us was mailboxes, etc. And I would ride my bike over there with packages to ship our stuff, you know, internationally. You put it in the, in the mailbox or you put I it? I have to go to the counter, yeah, yeah and pay. But. A lot of stickers. A lot of so, stickers, yeah. So, <laughs> boom, what is that, like a, a year six in the business so you're starting to go, to go global? Yeah, mid-90s, things are starting to expand a little bit more. Yeah. We. We move, in, we move out of Seal Beach to another house in Huntington. It's Gus Buckner's dad's house, and that becomes our central command. I remember down the street was uh, Scotty Stopnik, yeah. and his family lived on the same block, huh. and he was probably five or something like that. He'd come down, and he started sweeping the garage there for T-shirts. So now he's done really good with Cycle Zombies as well. Yeah. So that's a good little... I like that brand. Yeah. So, you know... Another big addition to the surf industry was women's, right? Women's business, juniors' business. And I remember seeing, or uh, well, Roxy, Roxy kind of opened up the floodgate, you know, or an yeah. opportunity that most wouldn't even taken the risk before, but they yeah. kind of just created went, created Roxy, and then that just kind of I and mean, all went, the other brands all the lights went off included. and everything, yeah. I mean, I remember uh, Christina Smith, right? Christina Smith came in. She brought in Michelle Obla. Yeah. And Chelsea was one of the designers. It was a, yeah. That was a huge addition to splits. I believe, line, right? I believe women's grew to a point where they may have been almost larger than the men's. I, I believe yeah, it. It came in women strong. Women do all the shopping. Yeah. That's almost for every brand that I hear. So. So you, what was the highest dollar that you remember shipping or what year and, and what was the dollar amount? Do you remember? You know, I think we got split up to, I think it was around 30 or so. Globally? Mm, probably more than that globally, but I think in the U.S. it's probably about $30 million brand. Wow. It wasn't massive, but it was at that time that we decided... Wasn't massive, thirty million, no big deal. Yeah. By today's standards. Today's standards, but you know, if dude, by today's standards, thirty million, that's still pretty damn big. It was, yeah. It was good for a little garage, you know. Yeah. Business. It was fun. Yeah. It, it, it's it's not about, bad for an industrial technologist. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, thirty million if you if as long as you're profitable, and it seems like you guys ran a. a dude, a, a, we're talking a to Vayner here. I know. I know. You think it was profitable? Yeah. Yes, it yeah, was. Yeah, for sure. You know. <laughs> There's a lot of companies that go to 30 and then they're leveraging yeah, they're everything. Not, they don't have Vandernomics. Yeah. Like everything that has Vandernomics yeah. is successful. Yeah. So remember that. Yeah, the stickers aren't, aren't a dollar. <laughs> they're $2, you know? It, don't it buy them at $2. It was interesting to add on that, that component of freestyle motocross because it yeah. didn't exist before, right? Yeah. It, almost like when snowboarding came and even wakeboarding. But, but freestyle motocross was big and it came in. I know we had Kerry Hart. 
and we had Twitch and Metzger and Ronnie Fies. And you a had bunch the of heaviest of the heavies. And we had a lot of really good guys, and we rode that pretty hard. But then big money came, and it was it was no fear. Yeah. And a couple of big brands Fox. started. Fox. They started. Yeah. We Alpine couldn't stars. We couldn't compete with the salaries that they were starting to pay. They saw these arenas being sold out, and these athletes that needed big money because their career was going to be a little short. I mean, those guys got wrecked. I mean, oh, yeah. So, so they were paying big money, and I know that Kerry Hart was on our squad, and I think he did X Games and did the first backflip in competition. Yeah. And I think next day, No Fear just took him. And so there's another cool, interesting story too. You had Michael Stipe of REM uh, invest in the company, right? Yeah, there was a point where we were still in the garage, and we had met uh, through a friend of ours that worked for Warner Brothers. He just had Michael Stipe's info, and we just sent him a box, a care package, small box, tees and hats, and he just, just to stoke him out. And you're a fan of the music. Like he's just like, yeah. well, I, I'm. In, it's not going to cost us anything. Let's just send him send a box. Him a box. It was uh, yeah, small postal. You didn't in return think like we send him a box. He's going to invest in our brand. It was not even. It's just about promoting the brand. Yeah, here you yeah. go. Yeah. And so he uh, he's like, a front man of one of the most popular bands brands in yeah in music. MTV all the time, right? Yeah. So shortly after, he actually uh, he actually called us and said, "Hey, thanks a lot. That was great. I like what you, I like what you have. And next time I'm in, in LA, I'll call you." So about a week later, we see him on MTV live, you know, wearing split, wearing a split T-shirt, yeah. doing a Greenpeace piece or something, an ad or a commercial. Sick. So then he, we hear that they're filming a video in LA. And did your, did your uh, well, you didn't have phones back then. Did you? Was your, beeper, you was your beeper your... blowing up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People calling you up like, dude, I saw Split on MTV. Because it's weird because R.E.M. today, you don't even hear it. I don't even know if the kids know it, but R.E.M. was pretty was big huge. back in that huge. day. It was, that was a Losing big, My Religion? That was a big what, what rock was and roll band. Oh, yeah. it's the end of the world? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were, were huge. huge. So he came out and he called us and said, hey, I'm in L.A. If you guys want to come up and meet the band. We said, sure. Friday night, downtown LA. We went up, brought a bunch of Twist clothes. Twist my arm. All right, let's go. So he was staying at a hotel, and so the, the band's doing interviews in the Rose Garden, and he calls us over. He meets the whole band, give him some clothes, high fives. It was cool. And then I told him, he called the next morning, and he said, he said, hey, I want to say thanks a lot for the clothes. I picked up the phone. The phone was in the garage, which is our warehouse, and, and he said, hey, if you guys ever need any help, let me know. I said, well, we're putting an investor package together now. He's all, make sure I'm the first one to see it. You're kidding So me. we put together just a little deal, and that got us out of the garage and into a small warehouse. How we much were, did he invest? I don't remember. Come but, on, make up a number. But it was a... $100,000? Numbers aren't important. $100,000? Come on. He came in as a limited partner and added some value. He was a partner. Limited partner, meaning okay. he didn't have... but. But he was part of it. And he he'd like he had a platform to submit ideas, and he was really creative. So what he, do you think? Ballpark: ten thousand, twenty thousand. I don't know. Lynn is a numbers guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He got he got you the next level. I, there, this there, this episode would be a lot more exciting if you told me a number. There are some. <laughs> okay, there are some zeros. I just don't remember how many. Six. Yeah. Yeah. Six I, zeros. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Probably probably on that in that era it was probably But but uh, still then the, yeah. the brand we're still in the garage. You know, we just needed a little kick to get us out into a warehouse and then yeah. from there we grew and 
we were in an industrial park over on Gothard and Heil, and we got the smallest unit in this new industrial park. And it was perfect for us. We had an upstairs design and a little warehouse, just enough to get going. And then we grew out of that, and then we moved into, from there we moved to the biggest unit in the industrial park. Same, same complex? Same complex, from one end to the other. And then we expanded over there, and then we grew out of that, and then we finally moved to Santa Ana to a bigger, and things were really going pretty well. So, so as that entrepreneur, business owner, you know, walk us through that. You're like, okay, this brand has gone from a garage to, uh, you know, nationwide, nationwide dis- distribution. Now it's a globally distributed brand. And then you, you know, you put in Michael Stipe, you, you're like, you have a surf team, a skate team, moto. a moto team. You're just like, Snow. what were your like thoughts? Like, did you have, did you have, were you like, holy crap. An end game, like, I, I, a number where you'd be like, hey, if we could just do this every year, I'd be happy. Yeah. Like we could make like, this salad, you know, like. Initially, do you, do you, you think don't, about selling? Do you. You don't know the ceiling. You're just like at, at that time. We didn't know the concept of Endgame, yeah. right? Hey, you hear a talk of somewhere to buy us, great, but we weren't building a business for an Endgame. Yeah, it, we were passionate about it, and you had to live it because, you know, it's not all rosy. If it's your own company, you're the last to get paid. Yeah, right. And you have to grow to a point. You have to outgrow the garage. You have to outgrow the building. You have to manage your payroll so you're not over payroll and you gotta have checks and balances you gotta grow a business and you learn that i mean that was that was our personal mba you learn by doing it yeah Yeah. so out of the the three people you know dave petrie scott bailey scott vanderripe what roles did you guys play so in the beginning we all wore all the hats right that's just the way it was you do everything you, know, you, you kind of manage production and logistics and stuff like that for the most part so, yeah so what we did so the way it finally the cards fell Dave was the most creative he was a real he's still a super creative guy he runs a, a shop down in uh, Lucadia area called uh, seaweed and gravel so really rad shop with vintage surfboards and motorcycles and apparel so he, he became the creative guy and then Bailey was more of the numbers guy, like financial numbers guy, accounting, uh, that, that realm. And I was more logistics and manufacturing. So I would run production, logistics, shipping, kind of ops stuff. Yeah. And so we all, those are small buckets that hold a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. That's kind of where we all fell at that time. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets to a point for a business uh, advice you want to start hiring people that are better than you. You know, you can't leave your pride at the curb. When you want to hire someone to do something, you want to hire someone that's going to add value. I mean, there's certain positions where you want to train and yeah. have them do it your way. Yeah. But you get to a point where you want to start hiring people that can add value yeah. and do it yeah. better than you. You don't have to babysit. They're taking the yeah. initiative. They're, they're like, hey, this is what we're going to do. And you're like, okay. And, and as an owner, you can do that because yeah. they're not going to take your ownership. Yeah. As a manager, some managers don't want to hire someone better than them because they might take their job or whatever. Yeah. But that, that was kind of generally how the responsibilities uh, fell. Yeah. yeah. And that's great advice because, you you know, a lot of entrepreneur, successful business people say that, right? Hire smart people 
and get out of the way. Well, then it's really hard right. to get, give give up stuff to you know like yeah delegate, delegate. yeah like exactly like you for know, sure. And, you, and once, you, once you feel you, like you're losing control, once you can get used to that, you're more productive. If you yeah. can delegate to someone who's capable and responsible, that's where things start to. Because at the beginning, like yeah. you said, you're all wearing five hats. Like seriously, four out of those five hats. You needed somebody else to do because it's a waste somebody of time. Else yeah, but, you know, but yeah, you yeah. don't, you can't afford it. And every department has its own set of standards. Yeah. If you're designing, you're creative. It's hard to get designers that flow with you. You can have great designers, but if you're not on the same page, yeah, it's it's tough to delegate. They just don't always get it. Yeah. And same with, you know, the numbers game. You got to have good accounting. Yeah. You got to have otherwise, you, you know. And I ran the the margins. I ran the. The production, the costing, the profits. As an owner, I think that's a key component because you want to make sure what the bottom line is. So yeah, yeah. So that's what it was. So all right. So split. You you take it to a a level of business, and then so what? What led to you guys eventually letting it go or licensing? Yeah, licensing it out. So what we did that. We had pretty much maxed out our building. We were, the business was good. We were doing big national business with, you know, PacSun and Macy's and... Hot some, Topic. No, no, I think that, that era had passed. But we were doing we were doing good big box business, Tilly's and everything. And so we were... Chicks. We were... Goods. After, after we had... Um, we needed to raise money again a few years later after, after Michael Stipe... We grew to another point where, hey, we grew out of our building. We want to keep growing. Let's find some capital. And we met the guys from Ray's Apparel, Jim Stark. So his group had factories in China. Everything was starting to go overseas. He was running licensing, manufacturing, master license for OP. And they were looking to bring something else under their umbrella. So they came to us and they they gave us a proposition. Hey, we would like to take split off your hands and license it from you, meaning they'll pay us a royalty and they'll run it. Production, sales, everything. What about design? Uh, and design, but here is the catch. They wanted to do that because they wanted us to start something new. We want to challenge you guys to start something new. You guys are good at startup. You have the connections. You have that. Yeah, that you, you have the success and you know what you're doing. Yeah, like. so they challenged us and we, you know, banged our heads for a while, looked at a bunch of different opportunities, and eventually we came up with the brand Crew. And we, Mark Oblo introduced us to Angel Cabada, and he was running TSA back at the time. And T- TSA was a core skate brand, you know, good team, good skate brand, and that brand was kind of going away, and he was looking for something new, and we were looking for something new, so we came together for the brand Crew. And so in the transition, we licensed split out and we took, I think we had about 30 or 35 employees at that time. And we planned to transition all of them to the new building to run the licensing operate. So all design, everything. And we cherry picked probably five people from the company that we wanted to bring with us because we needed one warehouse manager, one accountant. Yeah, you're starting from like yeah. a really small. We didn't yeah. need 35 yeah. people to do it. So, Raise Apparel was the P 
people that forced you, not forced you, but gave you the idea to start a new brand? Because at that time when we were doing big box business in the USA with international licensing, they were so set up for a big box business from a sales, from a distribution, from a manufacturing that it was a plug and play. Whereas us, as we hadn't been through that before, we were kind of organic. Yeah. They were more rooted into the industry yeah. and less into the volume game. So they, they had it. So it, it made sense. So yeah. we, we said, okay. So they are like, hey, you created this. We're going to plug this into our system, create something new. Yeah. So when we, it was but kind you of, did, did so, well, it was a secret. So we, we couldn't just announce it. So we had built an incubator in our warehouse, and uh, like an extended room with a door that we hired a sales slash customer service agent to uh so we're designing it uh angel's designing it now and he's designing off-site at his house in costa mesa and we have a sales customer service guy who's selling it and then i'm producing it and then we're having it shipped to angel's garage so you're back in the garage back in the garage again so we're uh so we're starting to ship active and really good skate accounts so we're building it. Did you have a team right off the bat, or did you have two thousand? Crew was launched in two thousand and three, so we had to start the groundwork at two thousand two, two thousand one. So master plan, business plan, we had to borrow money. So let me ask you this. Okay. Split, right? You license it out. Did you guys get paid a good like? Did it's you get a, a payout? It's a royalty. It's still our brand. We're still the owners. They licensed it, so they pay a royalty on sales. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of different ways to do a licensing contract, but normally, and, and the business models change a lot with licensing, distribution, having your own direct office, and it's evolved a lot over the years. So anybody starting a new business, do your research because some avenues are better than other ones but yeah. yeah no they handled it all and they paid us a royalty for the brand and they ran that for years while did we you were still running. have input like hey i think you guys should do this because ultimately you want more royalty you want the brand still to succeed yeah. so it's like do they cons- do you have meetings you weren't to on salary no we, we had to transition all that all yeah. those all those numbers but you had invested interest so you want to make sure like hey sure. you yeah. guys are making the right calls like you we, know we moved you know, 30 people over and 30 people are doing... I'm just trying to get plus. some Vandernomics out of you. <laughs> you know? Because whatever Vandernomics touches... Vandernomics is equal to the Midas touch. Whoa. Right? Yeah. And for you people that don't know who Midas is, Midas, whatever he touched, touched into gold. Or turned into gold. He's got the Midas touch. Yeah. <laughs> and Vandernomics is the Midas touch. So... Boom, you guys transition out of split. You go. We have the incubator. There's a D day, and D day means all inventory moves, all employees move, new offices. You know, 30 people doing, you know, call it $30 million in business. Yeah. It was legit, and, uh, and it grew. And they grew the business big box for a while, and we were focused on crew. And I know that we had to put a business plan together to submit it to say, hey, we're going to start this brand. And I know we went to the till to borrow money to do it because it was our neck on the line to do it. And we borrowed money from from the uh, from some partners that were in Asia. So we borrowed the money, 
we had a business plan. I think it was a three or a five year business plan. And we thought we were going to kill it. And year one came out. And so trying to give a, a little background on crew for people that don't, that don't know, right? You came from Split. That was a multifaceted skate, surf, snow, moto, moto, and then boom, you started Crew, an apparel and accessories brand that was strictly skate, core skate, hundred percent hardcore skateboarding. Because skate was on the up, it was at that time there was no skate apparel. Yeah, aside from tees and hats, and everybody wore their dickies or whatever. And, yeah, and Levi's skate shoes. Dickies. There was plenty of skate shoes, but no one was doing apparel. Yeah. Just printables, black yeah. label, stuff of that nature. Yeah, it was... So we saw... It was mostly a hard goods brands that were selling skate yeah. apparel. We, we saw a void for the brand for apparel. We knew how to make denim. We knew how to do production. We had the production formula. So to introduce that to the skate industry, uh, we had a t- solid team back at... I think it was Andrew Reynolds, Eric Ellington, Jim Greco... Chad Muska, Evan Hernandez, Ali Bilal. We had a pre- Terry Kennedy, too, from the start? Terry or? Kennedy. And some of them came a little later. Antoine Dixon? Antoine Dixon. Yeah, so yeah. solid so team. This, that is uh, one of the most prolific teams ever to be on one roster. Yeah. Prolific I mean, at, at dudes. That, at that time in skate, it was, you know, the shoes, you know, Nikes and other Nike wasn't of, popular yet. No, well, but they started. Had, yeah. But they were they were they were those guys that you just mentioned are the heaviest students skateboarding at the time, and then they became to be like the face of the industry, pretty yeah. much. Because Nike tried to, in a way, buy in yeah. to surf and skate, and yeah. it, and it wasn't working. Yeah. And then I know when they got Hurley, it really helped them in the surf. And then when they finally got the shoe game right with P Rod and company, yeah, yeah, they they did it. Then it was game they got, over. They got in, but yeah. So we, we have a solid team. We have a solid infrastructure between our team that we cherry picked, and we had a business plan. And we went to all things were fine. We thought we were good. Everybody, we launched our marketing plan. Everybody was behind it. You got the right retailers. Yep shops skate shops to back it yep you launched and then we thought it was gonna just blow up blow up and what had happened was it didn't buy in because the retailers didn't think the consumers knew the brand so they yeah. didn't buy as much as we thought they we would they yeah. would so that's a- that happens with every new brand after yeah. year one we had kind of spent our marketing and we didn't have the revenues to support it. So we went back to borrow more money and they're like, really? And they said, last chance. If not, if not, we're yeah. pulling the plug. So what was that? What was your goal for business year one? What was your projected I th- I forecast? Think it, I think year one was maybe 1.5 million. Which isn't that much. It, it no. wasn't that much. I, I think that without was going in any majors, which you're probably sticking to the core business. All, yeah, that's still not that much. And we, in, we spent a lot of money on marketing and yeah, because there's print and, ad and, yeah. and athlete and salaries and yeah, that goes quick. So, but what had happened was it was a one year lag. Typical marketing and everything was yeah. one year lag. So then year two put us back on the map. We're back on pace, and then year three we just blew doors, and the brand was. 
off and running. They just started connecting. Yeah, so all the was dogs that were, what 2005, 2006? Yeah, right in there, 2005, 2006. The yeah. bracket K logo. And that the the industry, not just skate, but like the economy was, was kind of on fire yeah, from 2000 to 2005. Yeah. It was kind of on the ramp. And it was a void because, like I said, nobody was making skate apparel, let alone yeah. denim. And for skaters to wear denim that fit, because yeah. we had a lot of success with yeah. the, the 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 stretch tight jeans. Yeah. Yeah. You were the pioneers with split with a side stripe jean, and then you with crew pioneered the case limb. Pioneered the girls' jeans in in skateboarding, the yeah. skinny jean in skateboarding. Yes, I remember a, a good friend of ours, Colin Provost. He rides for Volcom. Yep. And he's just family friend for he's friends with our our kids as well. And he started skating in girls. He he jeans. was wearing tight jeans that stretched, and I'm not sure what brand it was, but yeah. we started talking to him about it, and we just him and Jim Greco. Jim Greco was doing the same. We just you know cut a few pairs. Well, of those jeans guys open. were like built like a freaking toothpick, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So that was like it was hard style. for them, but it was their own style. But it was skinny shoes and or uh, skinny jeans and fat shoes. Yeah, weird combo, but crew. Functional. No, no, no. Crew killed. Crew skinny jeans killed the, the fat puffy, shoe. puffy skate shoe. Killed it back killed to the DVS. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Killed the DVSs of the world. <laughs> yeah. Did. Well, Who when, I was when, working when, for. When, Thanks a lot. When crew launched, you know, Ruka was pretty much launched in the same time. Yes. Volcom had a pretty good stronghold in skate, but they were multi-sport as well. Surf, snow, skate. So but they, you guys were strictly skate. We had a good, or Ruka had a good uh, like skate team. Skate team. For sure, but we were very like you were di- you couldn't diverse. Put, couldn't yeah. put all your eggs in no. one basket. No, because I remember so Pat Tenori and Angel were good friends. Yeah, and uh, I remember Pat coming to the garage, and I I would see Angel at our building like real early, like yeah, way they were growing yeah, out. And I remember we were beginning. we were shipping product for crew out of the garage, and Pat came by, and you know he was growing Rook, and it was starting to take off, and I yeah. think he had a lot going on, and he basically said. Can you guys just run it for me? Yeah. <laughs> and that never really happened, and I'm glad because he's done a great job of growing that brand. No, but, I mean, everybody has their struggles, and we were trying to sell $12 t-shirts to retailers that were paying, like, eight fifty. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. they're like, you guys are crazy. I don't care if it has a red... St- you guys are crazy. Red stitching on the collar. Like, people are going to, you know, but, but... A&P? What's that? Yeah, but going back to having niches and stuff, and, you know, you guys with the skinny jeans, like, that that's what you needed... Any brand needs to have that like breakout that that breakout product, product. that breakout product. Yeah. So sure. it was the AR gene. It was the Andrew Reynolds gene when he rode for Crew, and and we just we had direct line to the factory. We had carte blanche credit, you know, and and I was running numbers on those. I I had ordered like a hundred thousand pairs of jeans. So, what year was that when you finally turned the corner for Crew? Year Five, three? Like three, year three, four, it year started three. to go. Because yeah. I think our goal was like 1.3 million and then maybe three and then five and then from five to ten. And that's kind of where it just went. It was on track and then we started blowing past everything. And we still had like five employees because we all knew what to do. Yeah. You know, we had to add some warehouse employees to ship. But your, 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 yeah, your product, our, our, your product segmentation was relatively small because where, where the skaters spend their money is... Yeah. T-shirts, yeah. hats, and now a jean. You yeah. know, so that jean, one jean is a sell of four hats and two, our, two our tees. So our skew count was like 
So twenty styles. Yeah. So all day long. Yeah. Lar Lar worked for Ruka. He was competing with you guys with Ruka, and at that time I was working for Maddox, and we were competing with you. We were still bros, right? We were bros, yeah. but we were competing in the, in the market in our business um, against Crew. And I remember calling this one store on the East Coast, uh, this guy named Gurney, who owned Hotline. It was a surf slash skate shop, and I called him, and it was just after uh, back to school. Uh, season and I asked so how do we do Gurney he goes you guys did alright he sold 25 pairs of jeans I'm like cool that's not bad right he goes yeah I go who's number one Volcom he goes no no Volcom sold like 100 125 pairs I go what 125 and he's like yeah he goes but crew is number one I'm like holy crap who's crew like what's crew he's like and I knew it was but he's like yeah we sold like 250 pairs yeah you know, one little store on the East Coast, but that happened throughout all the every account, every account. Yeah. yeah, crew was number one in denim. Yeah, for a solid three, two, two five to three years. years. Uh, High five. Three or four. Or five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was it was money. It, and was, it was gnarly, and it was it was like black, the, blue, and gray. Yeah. The name Period. was the name hit the head, yeah. nail on the head. Crew, right? The the branding the branding the simple, K bracket simple clean K bracket navy white yeah, yeah. Uh, nailed it and then your team was so diverse they're all skateboarders but like you know we talk about this in surfing you have a a, a granola guy hippie guy you have a, a jock surfer you have a, a fitness surfer you know what I mean like there's yeah. different you gotta have a bunch. subcultures in the subculture. And then in skateboarding, it's even as diverse or more, right? Because yeah. you, you know, you had the run. We had all genres. You had all the rock. genres. Yeah. You had hip hop. So the hip hop dudes are fresh, and the skater grungy dude, grungy dudes yeah. are hash. You had hash to fresh. Yes. And everything in between. And they all had their own following. And you, yeah. they had their own following, and crew was like. It was unstoppable. But there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of um, number one brand. A lot of companies doing product collabs with their athletes at the time. You know, like Dude, there there, right. w- there yeah. wasn't a lot of you know marketing through promoting signature the athlete stuff, signature. Right. You know, and For, it was big big back then. What was genius? Another genius marketing product. What you're just saying, the two live crew. Holy crap. Yeah. It said two I, live crew on everything. T shirts, fleece. Yeah. I mean we milked, we milked that thing to death. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was so good. It so still good. sounds amazing, yeah. two live crew. Yeah. So boom, split, home yeah. run, got it to thirty mil, boom, crew, home run, Vandernomics. What how how much was crew doing? Crew was height. Crew is doing more than split. Okay, so bro, we need to hear numbers. But the thing, what? The you thing don't of, work for them anymore. You don't own it anymore. Tell me what that number is. But the thing about crew is, split took us ten years to get there. Crew took us five years to get there. Yeah. So business efficiencies, yeah. knowledge, street experience, smarts, all that stuff got us that much quicker. And a yeah. lot of luck. Well. 
Timing. But timing, timing, yeah. But it's also the relationships and the like distribution channel you already have because when yeah. you started split, you didn't really have that distribution knowledge. You didn't have those relationships. You didn't have and the stuff. pipelines. And even though, yeah, like I mean, perfect example. You look at Bob Hurley, Hurley brand. He was Billabong for the previous twenty five years. Mm-hmm. You know, 30, 20, whatever, a long time. Yeah, relationships there. A lot of relationships, and he literally like one season plug and play. Plug in, like, yeah. you know, similar but, to what you did, but on a... But know. one thing that I think Hurley pulled off amazing was the, the transition was simultaneous. Oh, for sure. Right? Like, no, it was... He, he was still doing... It, it was, was still everything doing that was in pr- Everything that was in production, he pretty much... Yeah. Billabong, Billabong new, was new still... on it. Billabong was... He was still doing Billabong. Yeah. And and you know months before he was done with Billabong, yeah. you already started seeing nine nine nine. Yeah, and everyone's like, "What's nine nine nine? Oh, and he had he had the Blink one eighty two again, going back to Blink, like, yeah. well, what, what the show is not about Hurley. It's I'm not just, about Billabong. I'm just, I'm it's just, about Scott Vandernomics. I'm just saying timeline of what was going on and how he you was always from one brand. Always veer away from the subject matter, bro. Oh, oh. Well, but <laughs> you're really bad at that. So on that point, ADD Lar. On what? that point, of squirrel. The tra- <laughs> 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 on the point of that transition, we had to play it differently because Split had a different account base. Yeah. And it wasn't core in the skate arena. Yeah. Even though we had a. Our skate team was X Games. It was Andy Mack and Neil yeah. Hendricks and all those X Games guys. Whereas Corey Duffer rode for Split though, didn't he? Yes, yeah. he did. And Jim Gagne. Look yeah. at that, yeah. dude. Pretty good. Huh? Pretty good. Huh? You did some research. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get a memory. Investigative journalism. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so to go core skate, Angel was the face behind it. So. He was the front man. He was the face guy. He brought the team. And Scott Bailey and I, we stayed behind the scenes because we wanted to not have it just be a new split. It was a whole new chapter. And then Dave... It had to come from authenticity. Yes. Yeah. And Dave Patriot at that time went with the split crew and was running design and marketing and running that whole program to keep that all going. So... Angel was kind of the front man of the brand, and and which was smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was good. And he legitimized the brand from the get go. Got I, all the legitimate team riders from the get go. And I I I hire 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 the right people and get out of their way. Is yeah, what yeah. what you did. I I over the years kind of went behind the scenes as well because my responsibilities became manufacturing, logistics, all that. It's like. I wasn't, and I was okay with that because yeah. I'm not Mr. Hey, check me out. <laughs> so <laughs> you are now, though. <laughs> no, I'm just late. I was shocking. Yeah. Oh no! How do you get rid of that? Uh, yeah, hey, we're gonna plaster. So that. So Vandernomics, how much in dollars, in millions, did you think? Do you remember doing with crew? You know, I can't remember. 60, <laughs> yeah, 80? I, I don't remember. What 60, that was. 80? Kinda. Let me let me bridge that into something else that it might give you your answer. So, because our listeners want to know. Okay. So, crew was a core business at a certain level that if you went much higher, it it was gonna dilute and sell the brand out. Yes, but you were doing huge numbers in Zoomies, Tillies. We were doing huge numbers yeah. based on. Because let's talk. Let's talk. Let's put this in perspective, right? You did thirty million. With split, 
let's say that's nationwide domestically in but let's say this would you say that crew is three times the amount of that wow what right I don't remember. I right? Don't, I don't remember. I would say you probably did three times more business in crew than you did with Split. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I, I'm going to say Bro. no. No. So, and here's why, okay? The brand got to a certain level, and it's going to segue into starting a new brand. Because we did not want to open everybody up. Yeah. Like, there are certain accounts that did the volume with Split, we were going to open Macy's, right? We weren't going to open Paxson. You're trading dollars for dollars. So, and then you're, so it was a, keep it tight. It was a different model. All brands should keep it tight. It's not about the money. Yeah. It's, it's it, well, yeah. It, it is. I mean, it's the longevity. Less is more. Hey, it's hey, less longevity. is more. I mean, less is more is what we're trying to say. My, my sales manager, Eric Thomas, is the I love best. Him. Best. He's the best. And I mean, he's been there Hot for five. a long time. And he always says, like, ET as, as we're doing, you know, meetings and let's, I'd rather be 50 million and profitable than 75 and chasing a dollar, you know, and I'd rather be, at, you know, whatever your level yeah. is, you know, be content. And as long as you're running efficient, you got margin and you're not saturation in the market. Like it was, it's back to the, the basics. It's the number one that, rule that, of thumb of any company. It's, that a hundred percent. So. Gross margin on your t-shirts, yeah. 75%. Gross margin on denim, 65%. Wow. All day long. Wow. So if That's you're like, like you said, gross yeah. margin and volume, I'd rather do 30 and be greatly profitable because those are our big categories. Yeah. Wovens, knits, you know, walking shorts. Yeah. We can sell shorts. Every, they all wanted denim. Yeah. So yeah. Huge, huge so, category. So yeah. High price. So like 90 million. <laughs> Go sure. Perfect. Yeah, whatever. Sounds yeah, yeah. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Okay, you feel better now? Okay. Yeah. So then boom. Yeah. Why start a new brand? Did the next brand. So So we're talking the third brand now. Guys. You, you don't have split any, crew and now Supra. Supra. But you don't have any experience in footwear. Zero. Zero. Just, just we, warm on my feet. We just have, we have done, we did some flip-flops and we played around with a little bit of crew shoes. Just. Did you know what margin, like, did you look around before starting it? Like how much margin is in footwear? Cause that's your department is. Oh yeah. What kind of profit we, is. In we it? learned really quickly how to make shoes. And we decided the main reason because our skate team's blown up, yeah. the brand's blown up, all of our marketing, all of our print, all of our videos, all of our riders have other people's shoes on. Yeah. And we're we're publicizing and marketing every other shoe brand out there. So is it the start? But is it going both ways? Or are you getting free publication advertising uh, from them or is it Yes and no. Kind let's of, we, but let's you saw that there was a opportunity opportunity in the footwear game and you yeah. you saw that there's a huge business. Yeah. In footwear. Yeah, yes. And the margins were probably yes. really good. Because, I mean, hate to say it, at that time compared to today, there wasn't that many footwear brands, but no. there, there was a, a, a good handful of skate shoe brands. And, and a lot of them lacked some of the infrastructure that we felt we had, that yeah. we could do pretty well with it from yeah. financing, factories, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we launched Supra, 
in 2006 and same deal we went back to the lending tree put a business plan together and borrowed money and it was a little bit of an opposite to what happened with crew so what happened was all these accounts that we wanted to sell to that we're selling crew to whatever number we were selling at the time because we kept it pretty uh, our distribution was pretty limited um, so all these accounts wanted it. They saw the team, they saw the plan, they saw the shoes. It was a premium skate shoe with high-end leathers that was sold for a premium price. And all these accounts booked it in. They said, we're on board. Crew's yeah. killing it. These guys are yeah. gonna kill it. It's got a great track record. These guys knows what these guys know what they're doing. And yeah. it's different. It's, like people like accounts need to invest in new brands and young yeah. brands and the, something. The category was at its high point. They're yeah. like Hell yeah, let's get another good brand in here to sell. For sure. So they all pre-booked it, and we shipped it all out, and it sat. Meaning the consumer didn't know about it. The retailers were in, but their consumers weren't coming in and buying it. It gets lost in translation. Because the marketing had a six-month to to one-year lag. So same thing happened. It took us another couple years. And then when it started to go... It left everything else we've done behind. It just it blew. So Supra was the that was the shot. biggest of the three, wow. and the what took Split so to go the for biggest of the three, bit by far. Wow, significant. Five times, six times. So what took Split ten years, took Crew five years. It was like about two and a half to three. But Bro. Super got its legs. How many uh, seasonal like uh, developments were you doing for like uh, like new collections? Four seasons. Four for seasons all and shoes. Yeah. So even shoes was four. Four. Yeah. So exactly. you you. I had the privilege of working for Crew and Supra. Oh, you worked there, Lyndon, for two years. He did. Yeah. yeah. Um, Vander he tried that. He was a very valuable. Is that asset. is that is that all the Amex dinners and like outings we were going? What are you out talking on? about? No. <laughs> Corporate hard, thanks, Vander. Uh, who are you? Active? Yes, <laughs> yeah. let's write that down. Yeah. No, uh, but seriously, seriously, I don't do that. Yeah. Um, Too much. So, what was that? Now, now I lost my train of thought. Bro. See, I'm a squirrel, dude. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you worked there. Remember? You worked. Oh there. yeah. Oh, so I, worked there. I forgot about that. Remember, right, I was right. working. I remember. It's funny. Where didn't you work? I, I know. I remember. So I told Vander I was leaving Podium, right? Yeah. It was like 2000. Podium's DDS, Makai. Yeah. Uh, I was there for six years and happily there. And then Kevin Meehan uh, headhunted me and said, hey, I want you to uh, be part of the analog team. Uh, you'll get this much money. You're going to live in, or you're going to work in Irvine. Yeah, the commute was going to be So yeah, I was. Headhunted by Kevin Meehan, and I told Vander, and he goes, hey, before you make the decision to go to Analog, come talk to me and Bailey. And Bailey and Vander actually sat here, and we talked about it. And you almost, I almost started working for you then, but you guys just was, it was you weren't ready. You wanted too much money. That, and they weren't ready to have... Excellence. We weren't prepared to, for. Uh, they, they weren't LSU. ready for Lindenomics. 
But no, so, going back to Supra, it only took you two years? It, it streamlined quicker. It, it actually, once we got through that hiccup, and that hiccup was, was basically just the market wasn't ready for another shoe, and we were still working through it. And, you know, we were learning how to make shoes. I yeah. mean, shoes are a little bit more, it's a lot more complicated than apparel. Yeah. And it took us a while yeah. to get the factory the factory connections and our our partners that were apparel guys in Asia had didn't they knew nothing about shoes so they weren't a help at all yeah they we got some financing from them but we were on thin ice because did they have uh, people in that no. shoe industry no no we totally... went on our, we went on our own just went for it and we got a hold of some people who knew the footwear game and we did all that so um, yeah just it took a little while but once we got through that lag period and that hiccup then then it was game on and then it was a what's crazy is um you know supra was a skate shoe company right but it turned into a lifestyle it was a shoe. sneaker yeah sneakerhead head shoe before it was like a core skateboard but that was another perfect timing within like just the, the industries and what was changing yeah. and, and styling because you had the core skate shops and then you had this elevated skate boutique which Dude. was like the, the another facet skate teaks skate teaks yeah coming around nike kind so, of helped you guys along with with the dunk. higher price point and the look yeah right some of the and, jordan and dunk and well, yeah it was not just your core guy, it was your, your participant that, yeah. you know, had money and means and they wanted to have the coolest, newest stuff and they were willing to drop megabucks on everything. Marketing was really, I think, what elevated and ex uh, helped accelerate Supra's rise to the top. Um, you well, guys had an amazing PR guy. I don't know what the guy's name was, but, I mean, he helped you get... What's his face? Little Wayne, yeah. right? You had Little Wayne. You had um, Jay Z. Jay Z wore Vaders, Super Vaders, right? At MTV Music Awards or no, one of them. No, it, was no. it was Obama's Obama's inauguration. inauguration. Oh. Uh, you had Beyonce wearing him. You had Heidi Klum wearing him. Rihanna, you had Madonna. yeah. Jay's favorite, Justin Bieber. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Beavers. Lar had Bieber, or, or late night had Bieber fever. So kind of, kind of what happened? What, what kind of, how that? It was a skate shoe, but we got into the high top game early on, and sky top. So it gravitated. Skaters were wearing the skate shoes, but then the fashion side, the celebrities, the musicians, that look and that paneling, the sky top, the Chad Muska sky top, was so appealing that it just grabbed. The, Shout out to. Josh Brubaker. Josh Brubaker. He the was the designer? head. He was the head designer of that shoe. Collaborated, you know, with Chad mm -hmm. and with Angel as well. But yeah, not they. They worked hard on that thing, and that shoe really, and it's still doing extremely well today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of our good friends, who's still a diehard super fan, Jason Hoey. I, I texted Claire. Oh, he's a shoey. He's a shoe. Not a <laughs> shoey. No, but he loves shoes. He like loves he's, Supras. He's, he's got a shoe collection. He's got a shoe fetish. Yeah. And he loves Supras. And he hit you up the other day, right? He yeah. said, hey, do you know anybody at Supra? <laughs> I texted uh, Steve Claire, right? And Claire 
I said, hey, I got a buddy that wants some shoes. He automatically sends me a promo code. I send it to Hoey. Hoey texts me the next morning, I bought five pairs, thanks. <laughs> so there's a lot of diehard super fans. But going back to that time with all these celebrities wearing it, it was also the time where like marketing has really flip-flopped from like printables to traditional to now all like social. Yeah. And that just sped up everything as well. So, I mean, you got a killer company, killer shoe, killer design, killer marketing, but it's also the, the change of like the marketing aspect of how quick it gets to design to the general public. Yeah. And, and we were able to... Great point, Jay Larson. We were Late able night. to design that... We were able to design the brand into segmentation. So there was a skate segment and there was a, a high-end yeah. section and different and a classics you know black and white all day yeah. long so but yeah super what was it we learned the shoe game pretty quick and a lot of the skate shoes were falling off at that time they were they were it was tough it was tough out there well they had a one hit wonder yeah and they fell off yeah. real quick and that's what happens when you're one, when you i know. when i worked for for dvs dvs was the number one shoe company for, for my, years yeah for 2000 i started in 2002 and left there 2006 2008 and it absolutely murdered it like dvs was number one in every single territory in every single quarter in every single store it was gnarly and then when nike started coming around they started taking the market market share and then Supra just kicked everybody's butt and left everybody in the dust. Well, it, so it, that had to have been quite 10, 50 times the business. <laughs> well, so, so during that time, so Crew was doing well. Supra came and in. Shoes are more higher dollars. dollar. Higher dollar. Yeah. yeah. Faster turn. Yeah. Meaning, like, you need to replace. And there's a lot. It's one category. Yeah. They're boxes. They stack. They're super modular. Yeah. But at that at that time, crew, sky tops are how much retail back? Hundreds, hundred and twenty five. Crazy. Something like that. Yeah, a lot. a lot of C notes. And so crew's doing well. Supra's doing well. And we're getting into that two thousand eight nine recessionary time frame. And once again, they're still relatively new brands that have plenty of room to grow so we kind of just we were we were hot enough and exciting enough that we were growing through the recession but what had happened at that time the guys that were running split they decided um, they were going to close their doors and so they gave us the brand back basically so we just kind of shelved it for a while and then we eventually we sold it but then we just started running Supra and crew and we ran it for you know it was a it was a machine we have we moved to another building, and well, yeah. I, how 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 is the 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 volume of space needed to house shoe boxes? That's, dude, that'd be quadruple. Of, I mean, you're, yeah. how big was that warehouse? I think it was it was maybe seventy five or eighty five thousand square feet. But, yeah. boxes, but it was high. Yeah. yeah. So we were able to max out. It was all about the height because you're only paying for the square footage, and it had. So we put these racks in there, and I think the uh, the forklift had about. Five or six pallet loads high. It was way up. So thank was, God I was only there for two years because that meant I only did two years of inventory. 
<laughs> By then it was all Inventory automated. Inventory was gnarly. At, at the end, we had it all automated. It was all like one scan. It, it got a lot easier, but that was but that was a machine. Crap. We had we had we've had some great employees. My partners have been great through the years. I mean, I was with them forever, and uh, me included, right? Great yeah, employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great team riders. It's been a. It was a good journey. It was. We had a good time. So. What uh, were the factors of of you guys selling the business? Like what? So so we talked earlier about split and then end game. At a young age, I didn't know what the end game looked like. And every now and then you say, hey, if someone gave us this number, hey, maybe we'd sell it. But Crew and Supra, we had a lot. We had I think we had about 175 employees. <laughs> we had offices in five or six countries. We had retail stores throughout the world. It was a machine. We had an HR department because we had, you know, 175 employees or whatever. And it was a machine and it was growing, but markets were changing, you yeah. know, to continue to grow and market getting old. and reinvent yourself. <laughs> the, um, what we had done maybe in 2010 is we, we wanted to buy out our partners. We had partners in Asia that weren't in the foot game, footwear game, and the footwear business was was doing. That was our yeah. You're like they're, yeah, yeah, they're making money off you, and they don't have any and they contribution. Were, they were ready to exit anyways. They were done. They they went from apparel to you know high density real estate, and they changed their focus. So so we we got a, a private equity group out of the Bay Area. They came in, brought them in to buy out the Asian partners, and they came in, the added value, we really cranked the company up. There was a lot of e-commerce at that time that really exploded and helped our business. And so usually when private equity comes in, their general plan is a three to five, maybe a seven year flip. They come in, add value, add expertise, and then they want to exit. So we finally got in the conversation of end game. And when the window came, we said, we think it's time. We had the discussion and it was time to put a book together, document the whole company, where it's at, financially, everything, and we put it put on the market, uh, like a, a private market, and we sold the company. And, and that For was- millions the, of dollars. That was the end of that chapter, you know? We, it was a great run. I did it for 30 years, yeah. and it was nice to just, Call have an quits. end game, yeah. yes. Call it because you know how it is. I mean, and I think we we timed it perfect because yeah. I think we were at the, the top of our game and we said now it's time and we yeah. we ended up selling it. But the hardest thing is you you know you bonded over the years with these employees and I mean you know that's what probably keeps you motivated is like you know it's not just me I got to make sure that you know yeah. these 175 people are gonna have get taken care of or a future and yeah, you know livelihood. So it's, it's got to be. Well, I was thinking about the numbers are probably you know maybe even in the thousands when you take team riders yeah. employees you know, you've put a lot licensing of, you've put a lot of food on a lot of people's tables a lot of beer yeah. in people's uh, yeah that too <laughs> you, you could put some uh, food on my table tonight I, I don't know what do you, what do you got with your <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's your yeah. Like so yeah. I, I want to bring up a couple stories of, of why I, I trip out oh no um, we gotta go on, on, Wrap it uh, up. Wrap on why we call it Vandernomics, right? His name's Scott Vanderipe, and 
again, he has the Midas touch. So, one funny story. Or a couple funny stories. couple. Vander uh, bought a, an Airstream in... How long was that? <laughs> how long was it? I mean, it? How, how long ago was that? Probably... About 10 years ago. 10 years ago, and you, you, you used it, right? You, you, you bought it, you used it for how long? Seven, eight years. Seven, eight years. You, you, the guy paid 30 grand, used it for seven or eight years, sold it in one day for 36 grand. Yeah. So but the $6,000 but, 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 but you're missing the whole point of it was, it was for sale for like almost 70 or 60 something. And the guy that was selling it at the time, the market sucked. Nobody was investing anything. And Mr. Scott over here, Mr. Vandernomics, yeah, knows how to play the game. What's that to do and, with it? And he has the cash, so it's like, well, you know, that's what you, you know, money, money talks. That's money. pretty amazing, of right? That's a Vandernomics. It's amazing. That's how you don't make money on second story. Is that all you got? You don't second make money story. On so he he invests in a, a sick condominium. In Nicaragua, from the from the ground level, right? So that you 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 and a couple partners, right? Invest in a sick condo in Nicaragua. We stayed you, there. You guys, we stayed there. Uh, you, you rented out over what? How long did you own it for? Ten years. Ten years. And finally, you know. Vander gets sick of it. He he doesn't, you know, he's pretty much the guy handling all the books and the maintenance and blah blah blah. And he's like, "You know what, guys, let's sell." So they go there, they sell. I mean, meanwhile, Nicaragua has grown over Blown the past. Up. Yeah, and real estate values have grown tremendously. And then all of a sudden, Vander says, "You know, what? it's time to get rid of this. Let's sell it." Boom, he sells it. The next day, there's a civil unrest rioting in the streets of Nicaragua and all the tourism and yeah, tourism starts going away and the values drop. That's Vandernomics. <laughs> timing. It's all timing. Yeah. Your timing is impeccable. Like, I, you know, it's 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 uncanny how lucky but shrewd and smart Mr. Scott Vanderipe, who you guys have probably never heard of, that started. Hey, what was that? Nothing. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's seriously amazing. And then here we are, present day. The dude's still hustling. Hustling. He, he's not retired. He's still hustling. He's semi-retired. I don't hustle. Yeah, I don't hustle. Not hustle. You, yeah. you, 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 you've got the Midas touch, the Vandernomics. I just meant hustling as you stay busy. Hey, you know. So let's talk about the the it's the the, the, the coal or the uh, the irons in the fire that you have right now, Mister Vandernomics. Yeah, where should I put my money? Where should we all put our money? So the philosophy, money? couple philosophies. One, you got to keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. One, right? Just yeah. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Two, (laughs) you got to do the six P's. Proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. Whoa. Right? You got to prepare. Proper preparation prevents piss poor 
performance. You can play it back later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You might never. You might never get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You down with PPP? I'm down with <laughs> PPPP. So, what I did? So we sold the company and just took a little break. And I, I, I hit an age milestone right at that same time. The day we closed was my birthday, and there were some destinations I wanted to visit that I hadn't got to visit. So went to went to Nicaragua, decided we had been doing Nicaragua for 10 years, Costa Rica. It's, it was awesome. And then I wanted to go to Bali. So we went to Bali and... Tavi? Yeah, I did, oh, I did Tavi, Tavi, Bali, yeah. and Nicaragua all in like a little like a little whirlwind. It was a good yeah. run. Did you do a Hawaii, North Shore? Oh, um, North Shore? We did a lot of North Shore. We have two boys that are older now. Uh, our one son, Casey, went to University of Hawaii over on Oahu at Manoa. So we go over there in the winters. It Trying was, to get Lily to go there. Yeah, it was a good, that was a good run for sure. So yeah, did, did a bunch of surf travel and, and then came back and kind of got busy with it again. Just, I think... I spent so many years grinding, not even grinding, just so involved in the business and so, so many facets of it. Now I kind of work for myself. I'm my own, my own boss. And so I get into, I'm pretty connected into opportunities. There's opportunities everywhere. You just gotta, you gotta look and they pop up and it's all about what you want to get involved in, whether it's financial or sweat equity or working. So I've, I've been fortunate to get to align myself with a couple of good companies that I, I believe in that are doing well. So I've gotten involved in a few since I've exited the apparel industry. So I got involved with a company called Hyperice uh, Investment. You know, I got in early and if you don't know of Hyperice. Hyperice has all your needs for after workout, sport, rehab, recovery. recovery. Everything. Ice, heat, vibration, yeah. all that. I so. use the back brace all the time. So Kobe uses it. So check out hyperice.com. Kobe, Kobe, and, Kobe, and, LeBron, and Steph and Curry, KD, all those guys. Re- reach yeah. out, DM us, and we'll get, you, we'll get you a disc. Later, we'll get John, you a, a discount code if you DM us. Listening to the late night and chalky podcast. You know, John John's got his going already. Oh wow! Yeah, Whoa. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he, he'll, he'll be he'll be he paddling at a pipe. Yeah. So then I got involved with, uh, we have our own manufacturing company. We have an office in Shanghai. It's called Blacksmith International. And we do full design manufacturing. So we manufacture for, you know, a lot of the action sports industry and a lot of, you know, less sexy products, but just um, manufacturing in China. We do design, manufacturing, QC, and logistics. So um, if you need something. Reach out to Scott Van Rype if you're looking to expand or. (laughs) Or source out any sort of the products. This is not an infomercial, but it is. You need shoes, yeah. we can yeah. make it. Yeah, we we'll yeah. make shoes. Yeah. You need belts, we can make it. Yeah. And then I got involved with the guys at Rinse Kit, the portable shower Rinse that you kit. see. You know, I just saw a new one at, at, at one of the shops. Yeah, the hard pack the, one. No, the smaller the, like um, pony pill or whatever. Yeah, the hard case. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, a phenomenal product as well. I or, love Rinse Kit. Can't leave home without it. And then the the guys from Sporta Kings, great new apparel brand out of Huntington Beach. Casey Wee. Um, yeah, the Good Life. Ziggy. Sport of Kings Forever Young. These guys are doing a great job of growing a nice organic local surf brand. And that's attached to the West Coast Board Riders, which yes. is, there's clubs up and down the coast. Which we yeah. promote every episode because we, 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 we see it as a 
you know, a, a new birth in like surf within community. the community and like the, the youth. And we just love the, the, the local like participant, like family style beach day. It's just a great thing. We love those guys. We're stoked that. Quit interrupting us. Soak. E5. <laughs> and then I just got involved with the guys. There's a, I've never been in the uh, beverage industry, but I got involved with the guys from Harland uh, Beer. They're down in uh, San Diego County. Uh, the company is Harland Beer, and the distribution that we own is called Scout Distribution. And there's a wine called Claxton. So we're opening a tasting room this next week in July in Del Mar. That's where the real money's at. At, buddy. at the new One Paseo building. So um, our show is listened in twenty-seven different countries. Yeah. So and we're downloaded hundreds and hundreds of times Thousands. a day. So if Harlan and Scout Distribution is looking for a new, the podcast is. Uh, the podcast medium is a growing industry with a lot of uh, viewership. Yeah. So it's called grassroots marketing. Late night with Chalky, bro. Yeah. Hey, hey. And sell some product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love wine and beer. I love wine and beer. Yeah. Right, late night? Yeah. I don't have to go to these like Mandela or Takata guys, you know? Yeah. Like, you know. Harlan Claxton. I want to keep it local. Harlan Claxton, those are great American names, man. Yeah, so a couple tasting rooms down in San Diego County, and it's on tap everywhere. So it's weird that's an epicenter for like IPA and little like kind of craft, craft beer. beers and stuff. It's, Huge. it's amazing. They can run the business. When are we going to open one in the Huntington? I don't know if it's going to be Huntington. I think there might be one bouncing up to Ventura area. But the the distribution company, we're doing June Shine and a bunch of other kombuchas and some. You guys need a rep. Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's good opportunity for sure. Yeah. So it's it's really you can do LA, I can do Orange a, County. It's a brand new op- brand new operation, but it's growing by leaps and bounds. So yeah. um, take a look. See, we're yeah. networking, you guys. So how do you how you do it? So remember, remember. I don't know if you remember this, but remember the Marriott Towers down in San Diego by where the trade show used to be. Yeah, ASR. Yeah. You'd walk through there, walk through the hotel to the convention center. There was a Starbucks in there. And it, you'd walk right down the hallway to, to the convention center. So Harlan just took over the Starbucks. Oh, wow. And so they're selling beer in the hotel at that old Starbucks smart. location. So now you can walk from your hotel to the convention center and pick, pick up, up a beer, beer or the other way around. So, I mean, you can only drink so much coffee, but you can drink yeah. plenty But of seriously, beer. if Harlan's interested in two professional semi-celebrities... Here in Huntington Beach and abroad. They might be listening right now. Semi. (laughs) I mean, how many coverage did you get late night? All right, what else do you need to know? I got got stuff to do, right? No, but it's been a great, uh, we're privileged. It's been an honor and a privilege for having Scott Theodore. (laughs) That's that other guy. I don't know who that is. Scott Theodore Vanderripe. What is it? David? Scott David Vanderwright? That is my middle name, yes. David. Scott David Vanderwright. Yeah, you're going to flood this all over the internet so they can track me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you get my social, social media? Yeah, what is your social media? 444 and 381. Yeah. <laughs> What's your number? 8675309? Yeah, yeah. No, but, you know, um, it's, it's a very interesting story, the Scott David Vanderwright Vandernomics story. Well, you, I, uh, I mean, it, we're, 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 hey, hey. 
Okay, go. Three different yeah. multi-million dollar, multi... Yeah, American dream. It's an American dream. Like, yeah. you know, he hit three home runs. Yeah. Right? And he's hitting a fourth home run right now. Or five or six or yeah. seven. Oh, it's, it's just getting started. Yeah. And that's really... That's no, fun. Yeah. And that's what's cool is like your, your passion for, you know, obviously you, you have visions for... for and he's one of our brands. best friends. Yeah. How Definitely. lucky are we? Yeah. But <laughs> the fact that you could give your knowledge right, and input to these other companies... You know, and give almost, I mean, give back your, you know, what you've learned and help these younger companies, you know, get to that next level. Give your input and your expertise is, is pretty cool. Yeah, there's another company that I want you to start putting some, we'll keep that on the down low though. Okay. For the next show. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. You don't even know late Ooh. night. I don't This is know. an A-B conversation. Whoa. See your way out of it. Oh. <laughs> You know, I'm on to bigger and better things myself. Oh! Uh, yeah, keep, it, keep, it, keep it quiet. <laughs> no, but, hey, Scott, Theodore, Vanderite, it's been, a, it's, a, it's been an honor and a privilege for, for us, Late Night with Chalky. Uh, for our listeners. For our listeners. Yes. It's all about that. Listeners. Yes. Yeah. Split, Crew, Supra, three amazing action sports brands, fashion. Yeah. I mean, you're an icon in the industry and no one even knows it. Yeah. Now they do. I like it that way. Huh? Yeah, I like it that way. Yeah. Thank, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get to charge you one time for an um. Whoa. <laughs> Did we? I don't know. Did he say um at all? I don't know. I'm going to have to re-listen to this. Think, hey, um, how's the swear jar doing? Yeah. What swear jar? Oh, okay. Gotcha. We never had right. one. Okay. We never We'd went be there. be rich. We could invest we, that money. Yeah. yeah. Like, Who was swearing, though? Nobody. Cause Nobody. Because the one kids time, up, oh. up. Uh, who did? Evie, oh, Evie's keeping count over there. Scott uh, Theodore. We David, dude. Come on. Scott yeah. David Vanderite. Yeah. All right, is that a wrap, folks? Right. Emmy, Evie. Yes. Say thanks for listening. Thanks, thanks for listening. listening. Thanks for listening to our family show of yes. Surf Talk. Yes. All right. Let me say. Late Night with Chalky. Peace out. Evie. Late Night with Chalky. Peace out. Peace out. Over and out. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 